So what's up, Betamaxers? Uh, welcome to episode 53 of uh, Celluloid Fever Dreams. Our last one for this year. Uh, next episode will be uh, 2022. Um, yeah, this week's probably just going to be another uh, short episode. You know, we're in that weird period of the year between Christmas and New Year's. You know, that, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to put into words. This has just always felt like a weird uh, time of year for me. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like everything just seems just a little off, I guess. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. Felt like this my entire life, but uh, this week the movie is Monster Brawl from 2011. Tagline is, <clears throat> it's the fight of the living dead. Uh, you know, now, you know, the, the premise of the whole thing uh, is, is what hooked me. You know, I watched the trailer for it. Uh, and if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that you know, all you need is a good premise. Just a good hook. And uh, I'll sit there and watch the whole film. And uh, this one has it. Uh, it's eight of the eight of the most dangerous monsters from around the world uh, competing in, in a one-on-one wrestling tournament to the death to determine which of them uh, is the most fearsome and most dangerous monster in the world. Uh, now, yeah, I got to admit, uh, you know, the, the core concept of it, you know, the idea of capturing all these dangerous monsters and uh, forcing them to fight for uh, the entertainment of a paying audience yeah, that that's actually to me a really cool concept, and uh, uh, and you know one they could get a really dark and uh, bloody film out of. Uh, the the makers of this one though went the other direction with it, and planted tongue firmly in cheek, and uh, when creating the the uh, story and the characters and the action within it, you know that's not to say they're in violence and blood. I mean it it, it is a horror comedy film. But, uh, yeah, it is definitely um, one I've got to sort of log under a uh, all-in kind of film. You know, you're, you're either going to, you know, as I said with the other ones, you're either going to be right on board from the beginning of it and enjoy it all the way through, uh, or you're not, and you're just going to think it's a horrible film. And uh, from what I've seen online, that, that does seem to be that way, that tends to be a polarizing film with people who enjoy it for what it is and the campiness of it. And, uh, you know, people who just absolutely hate it. Uh, if you want to check it out before um, you, you listen to the rest of the episode and kind of form your own opinion of it before you hear what I think of it, uh, I watched it on Tubi. Uh, but it's also available uh, at the time of this recording uh, on Shutter if you have a subscription to that. And uh, it can be rented through Amazon, uh, Vudu, Apple, you know, most of the usual suspects in, in that regard. Uh, you know, the writer and director of the film uh, don't have a huge uh, you know, backlog of films. You know, a lot of a lot of stuff to choose from. The writer of it is uh, Jason David Brown, who has also written and starred in the film uh, *Septic Man*, uh, *Exit Humanity*, and he also plays the uh, great yeah the Grave Keeper in uh, this film. He plays Cyril, uh, co-written by Jesse Thomas Cook who uh, also wrote Scarce and The Horde. Uh, Jesse Thomas Cook is also the, the director of the film, having also directed Septic Man, uh, The Hexecutioners, and The Horde. Um, yeah, like I said, the whole film revolves around uh, a tournament. Uh, they've split the monsters up into undead and creatures, and they've also split them up into a middleweight and a heavyweight division. And uh, there's four creatures on uh, each side. 
and, and there's some weird choices uh, made in some of the participants. I mean, yeah, so, some of them are just no-brainers. I mean, a mummy, um, Frankenstein's monster, uh, werewolf, witch, uh, vampire. Uh, you know, and, and the remaining two combatants are. Um, well, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure that the writers and producers had reasons behind them, maybe even financial. But uh, the last two combatants are uh, a cyclops and a wholly original creature called the Swamp Gut. Um, yeah, out of the two, I really, really like the design of the Swamp Gut. Uh, I, I'm guessing it's a full, an original creature. The um, the film was as an independent film out of Canada. So I don't, I don't know enough about Canadian folklore, maybe based on something from up there, but, uh, like I like the design of it. Many, a big burly creature, uh, spits poison, things like that. looks, um, it, it, it looks like a bizarro version of swamp thing. Uh, the Cyclops on the other hand, I, I don't know. I just, I wasn't as impressed with that one. And it really is the one out of all of them that just leaves me kind of scratching my head as to why uh, it's included in in the tournament. I mean, you know, it just, it I don't know, Cyclops for me just didn't fit in as well with some of the other other choices. Um, and, and honestly, the, the witch, to me, uh, didn't make a whole lot of sense. Very physical, uh, you know, like I said, it's a wrestling tournament to the death. It, it's a Mortal Kombat style I guess you'd say, tournament, and you brought in a witch. You know, I don't see witches as being very physical combatants. You know, I, I see them more as like poison and spells and curses, etc. Uh, but they use her. And, um, you know, I think the other thing that really throws me off the Cyclops is I don't really like the makeup design um, for the Cyclops. It's, uh, I mean, I guess a low-budget movie. They got to, you know, work with the the amount of money and the time that they uh, have. But I'm guessing those are supposed to be scars from where his eyes are supposed to be. Um, yeah, because he explains he lost an eye uh, in exchange for uh, the ability to see the future. And so I guess Hades, the guy he made the deal with, moved uh, his one remaining eye to the center of his forehead, and they're supposed to be, like I said, masses of of scars, but I, I got to admit, it just kind of looks like he's wearing a visor. Uh, you know, and I'm sure that uh, part of the design is so the actor could still see in order to uh, perform all his stunts and his moves. But at the same time, uh, the Cyclops and Kroll was a better design and, and uh, better looking. And yeah, when a film from the, what was that, like 82, 83, uh, has better makeup design than one from 2011... Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. The To me, the Cyclops is, is probably the weakest uh, combatant in the whole thing. And considering one of the other combatants is a witch, I think that says something. Yeah, the uh, Mortal Kombat uh, comparison isn't, isn't just uh, you know, a quick way to get you to understand the plot of the film. It plays through uh, in the way they introduce the characters. Uh, it plays through uh, in the fact that they have an announcer, uh, Lance Henriksen, who's listed in the credits as Voice of God who announces the uh, combatants as they're introduced, and you're showing a little bit of their backstory. Uh, and as they pull off their killing moves, he pronounces uh, what each one of them are and names them. You know, kind of like the announcer in the Mortal Kombat games. Hendrickson, of course, is a veteran uh, actor and uh, well-known among horror aficionados and uh, you know, B-movie and cult movie uh, 
fans such as myself, uh, you know, appearing in things like Aliens, uh, The Quick and the Dead, uh, Pumpkinhead, um, uh, Powder, Near Dark. Um, honestly, the first time I saw the trailer for Pontypool, I thought, thought that was him, but uh, that's not him. Uh, now, the actual ringside announcers are played by uh, comedian Dave Foley, who is, of course, uh, best known for either uh, Kids in the Hall or uh, News Radio. Or, if you're a kid of the 90s, uh, he is the voice of Flick for Bug, uh, Bug's Life, the Pixar film. He's also had appearances in Scrubs, the film Sky High, uh, the Brandon Fraser, uh, Christopher Walken film, Blaster in the Past. Uh, he's done a ton of voiceover work. Uh, and the color commentator is uh, Art Hindle, uh, another genre of veteran who uh, one of his earliest appearances was in the 1974 proto-slasher uh, Black Christmas. He's also appeared in Porky's. Offspring, uh, the Chuck Norris film The Octagon, and the uh, 1979 uh, version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland, which to this day remains my favorite uh, version of that film. Uh, And of course, you can't have uh, a fake wrestling without having uh, actual wrestlers or wrestling personalities as part of the film. And they recruited one of the legends, uh, of course, Jimmy Mouth of the South Hart, who, uh, when I was a kid, was the manager for uh, Hulk Hogan, and then Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake when they were a tag team for a while. And, uh, you know, he's been around, God, what, 40-some years? And, uh, yeah, I got to say, he's perfect in this. He he plays the guy who, uh, you know, announces each of the matches, or the uh, you know combatants as they come out, and uh, tells a little bit about them. Uh, and, and, yeah, like I said, it's a perfect role for him. It's what he's been doing for years. I, yeah, I gotta say, this film marks probably the first time uh, in my life that I can remember that you get a quick glimpse of Jimmy without his trademark sunglasses on. It's uh, it's kind of weird and unsettling. Uh, Kevin Nash, who first uh, made his fame as a wrestler in the WWF, uh, known as Diesel, and then went on to WCW and you know, wrestled under the name Kevin Nash and led the uh, one of the three founders of the NWO, New World Order, and also one of the founders of the uh, uh, spinoff NWO, the Wolfpack, the Red and Black. Uh, he has an appearance as an army colonel who is the handler for the zombie. Uh, but they're not the only wrestling personalities. The uh, witch is played by Holly Letkeman. Holly Letkeman, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, better known to wrestling fans as uh, the wrestler Rosemary on TNA Impact. And the Lady Vampire is uh, portrayed by Kelly Couture, uh, another female wrestler. Couldn't really find a whole lot on her. Uh, the Frankenstein Monster is portrayed by Robert Mallet, who uh, trained under Bret Hart and wrestled as the Acadian Giant starting in the late 80s before becoming El Gigante. Uh, in the late 90s, he also wrestled under the names The Interrogator and Kurgan. Uh, yeah, so the story of it is it's pretty loose. I mean, you get a little vignette uh, introducing each one of the characters and their origin, uh, a little bit about what they can do, why they're fighting, etc. And then you get matches between two of them. I think the opening bout is uh, Cyclops versus the Witch. And, yeah, it is a really weird uh, film. Uh, But, you know, bonus, it just, it never tries to be anything other uh, other than that. You know, it's like they set up the premise, they pick the characters they wanted to uh, be in it, and run with it. You know, the, the fights are basically wrestling matches. Um, 
you know, with some some uh, you know, mystical or, or a superpowered moves thrown in. You know, the Cyclops has a, a laser beam that shoots out of his eye as his finishing move. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what what myth that comes from. I'm not you know some some sort of expert on Greek mythology. But yeah, it's just at its heart, kind of. It's just a fun movie. Uh, you know, it's low budget. Um, it's uh, like I said, some of the decisions where the monsters chosen, and the way they split them up into divisions. I'm still not entirely sure about. Um, you know, and it's not a movie I'm going to sit here and, and defend a lot of saying it's a great movie, uh, but it's a fun movie. You know, it's just one that you can put on, and you, know, you can have as background. Like if you're doing something else in the room. Uh, it's something you don't have to really pay a whole lot of attention to. Uh, there are some cool shots in it, some cool fights. Uh, you know, the humor is a little corny at times, but uh, it fits within the context of the film. And, I mean, you got Dave Foley. You know, he can sell even a bad joke. Um, you know, outside of the Cyclops, I, I did genuinely uh, like a lot of the monster designs in it. You know, uh, I really did like the werewolf. Uh, it's kind of a throwback to... Um, uh, you know, classic Universal Lon Chaney uh, style werewolf, more of a modern spin on it. It's probably my favorite makeup design in the whole film. But then again, I have a soft spot for werewolves and werewolf films anyway. Uh, running a close second behind it, though, has to be the Frankenstein monster. The uh, the Boris Karloff uh, version of the creature is just so iconic. I mean, you know, it's become like Bela Lugosi's Dracula. That's sort of become the template for uh, every version of the, the Frankenstein monster. And the, the producers of this film went in a different direction. Uh, it's not completely original. Honestly, looking at it, it kind of reminded me of um, Robert De Niro and uh, his version, the version of Frankenstein that came out in, what was it, the early 90s? Like, uh, what was it? Was it, it was like 93, 94? It's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. You know, it was uh, De Niro was the monster. Kenneth Branagh. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter, uh, it, it, the the Frankenstein monster in this one, in Monster Brawl, it, to me it it seems like that that's where they took the inspiration from was Robert De Niro's uh, makeup in that film. Uh, yeah, but even that there there's a couple of makeup choices on him. I don't understand why he has a huge scar and stitching running down the middle of his face. Like you know, is is that where they put the brain in? I'm I, I'm not. I don't know, it was just one of those things when I saw it kind of knocked me out, out of the film for a second, thinking, why why does he have scarring running down the middle of his face? I mean, I could see it if it was like they tried to make it look like he had two different faces stuck together, like maybe something had gone wrong, but they didn't. Uh, am I being nitpicky at this point? Probably. Uh, and if we're talking inspirations, honestly, I'm not sure if the Lady Vampire was inspired by Buffy or the Lost Boys. Her, her makeup seems to be you know, somewhere dancing around in between the two of them. I mean, it's well done, but you know, obviously influenced. Uh, you know, honestly, my biggest knock against the film because I'm willing, you know, I, I'm willing to overlook, uh, you know, a lot of things. Like I said, to me, the movie was just fun. Uh, you, you can tell that they you know, spent the bulk of their budget on the monsters. You know, trying to make them look as good as they can. Uh, rather than you know, I guess a lot of the special, a lot of other special effects and whatnot. But uh, you know, to me, the the cheapness of it and you know the look of the film it wasn't a knock. You know, it to me it it is what it should be uh, for this kind of story. 
if that makes sense. I mean, I, I didn't really go into it expecting something life-altering. I just went in uh, expecting not to waste my time for 90 minutes or so, uh, and I got that. It's a fun film. Uh, my biggest knock against it, like I said, has got to be I really didn't understand the choices uh, behind you know, a couple of the monsters in the film. I didn't understand why they went with an entirely new creature. And, you know, instead of like, you know, maybe doing a riff on a creature of the Black Lagoon, which I, I guess Swamp Gut could be, but he did remind me more of uh, Swamp Thing than he did something like Creature of the Black Lagoon. And I'm sure there might be budgetary reasons behind it as well. But at the same time, my biggest knock against it is that it doesn't really have an ending. You know, it the movie either needs to end about two minutes before it does, or it needs to be about five minutes longer. Uh, and if you're sitting there thinking, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, what do you mean that you can't have it both ways? Yeah, you can. They reach a definite end, uh, and there is a champion crowned. But uh, then they go on a little bit more and introduce a new monster who challenges the uh, current champion. And of course it goes off with them squaring up against each other and throwing punches and just cut the credits. You know, it, it just annoyed me either, either end it with the, the one monster reigning supreme and, and wandering off into the darkness or, you know, just take the whole, you know, take and spend the money and choreograph one final fight with this new surprise entrant. Uh, you know, let's be honest, you're not getting a sequel to this. You know, the, this is ne there's never going to be a sequel to this. Uh, you know, this it's not something that you can. I mean, you probably could extend it out into a series of movies if you could come up with more monsters and and uh, you know, or uh, or even have some of them that were killed in this film uh, come back for revenge. But you're not getting a a sequel. I'm sorry, there's just not enough meat there. And I say that knowing fully well bargain bins are full of movies that are on their sixth or seventh sequel that probably shouldn't have had a first film made. Yeah, but end your movies, kids. You know, end the story. Give it an ending. Don't don't think you're going to get a sequel. You know, don't hold back a good idea thinking, oh, I'll do that in the next whatever. No, do it now. You know, which you know, having said that, uh, you know, the fact that it doesn't really have a ending or you know, it just sort of has the the uh, cut off. Yeah, it's not not ideal, but at least it's not you know enough to destroy the rest of the movie like you know Repo Men. Um, and if you haven't seen Repo Men and you're sitting there wondering what I'm talking about, uh, first off, I liked the movie. It's a pretty good action movie, sci-fi action movie. Forrest Whitaker, Jude Law. Uh, if you want to have good memories of the film, you need to keep an eye on the timer, and when it gets about five minutes from the end, cut it off and never watch past that point again. You know, it's an ending that to me just destroys any goodwill the film has built up to that point. Uh, it's just it's so cliched. And, well, you know, it's one of those endings that, you know, people are like, oh, it's so cliched and overdone. Done right, uh, that kind of twist ending can have a really good impact. I actually watched a movie recently, um, and I'm not going to spoil it by telling you which one, but uh, it was like that. It kind of had the um, the twist ending like in Repo Men, uh, but they earned it. You know, they didn't just drop it on you. They kind of led up to it and built up to it. You know, so when it happened, uh, it made sense, and it made you know, other elements in the story make sense. 
uh, yeah, so what, let, let's just go ahead and wrap this up. Um, go ahead and, and lay it before the most important question you can ever ask. Uh, was it entertaining? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I've got to give it a yes. Uh, I, I know I kind of rate pass-fail. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, Monster Brawl was a, a entertaining movie. I mean, it's just fun, uh, goofy, uh, tongue-in-cheek, kind of campy. It is very much a all-in film. You're either going to like it or not. Um, it's not not a perfect movie. It's not even a great movie, uh, much like a couple of them we've talked about this season. I'm not sure it's one I'm going to go back and watch again. You know, it didn't leave that kind of an impact on me. Uh, but if if I was with somebody and they had it on or they wanted to watch it, I'd sit through it again. You know, the filmmakers definitely leaned into the uh, Bruce Campbell rule of filmmaking in that, you know, if we can't make a good movie, we're at least going to make an inter- entertaining movie. I'll give them that. So that's all of 2021. So what are we kicking off 2022 with? Uh, well, it's one of my favorite directors, uh, one of one of my favorite films by him. My wife actually got me the Criterion Blu-ray for Christmas, and my daughter actually got me the Funko Pop of the director. Uh, we are going with the John Waters classic from 1981, starring Divine and Tab Hunter. That's right, it's Polyester, the uh, only film ever filmed in Odorama. And the uh, Criterion Blu-ray actually comes with a uh, scratch and sniff card so that you can have the full theater theater experience in your own home. Uh, and I'm probably more excited about this than I have a right to be because I've seen the film several times. Uh, I think I've seen just about everything John Waters has ever done several times. But uh, this is the first time I'm actually going to get to watch it uh, and experience the scratch and sniff parts of it. Uh, so yeah, this is going to be an experience. So uh, that's going to wrap it up. Again, another kind of short episode, but we've had a couple of lightweight films back-to-back. Not really a whole lot to to dive into on them. I mean, I probably could have done with this film what I did for uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and gave you like an oral history on the different monsters, but now I'm going to save all that for better films. Now, if you uh, liked what you heard, tell a friend. If you didn't, tell an enemy. Uh, If the place that you listen to this these episodes from allow it uh, leave us a review or a thumbs up or thumbs down something i don't know just something to help the algorithm uh introduce us to new people uh, you can find me on twitter at c fever dreams uh you can find me on instagram and tiktok at uh, celluloid fever dreams uh don't forget there's a lot of things you can choose to be in life kind is one of the better ones especially to yourself because you deserve it uh, but until next week beta maxers uh, i have been the late the great the overweight wyndham jennings this has been celluloid fever dreams and i thank you for letting me be part of your day and until next week well goodbye beta maxers